0: Good morning, Church of the Cross. It is good to be together. I spent some time before coming here looking through your directory and praying for you. And I will tell you, this phone portal is a poor substitution for your faces. Uh, But I'll take it because I trust that the Lord is with us. And there's a beauty for me in imagining The physical space on a map that our worship takes up in this distributed format. I kind of picture little pins dropped, little markers of worship happening all over Austin. So, with our pin dropped here in the parish house and your pins dropped in your homes, let's continue our worship together. In our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, we find ourselves this morning at the beginning of what's often called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus opens his sermon with this famous section we call the Beatitudes. Church of the Cross, I believe that you had a series on each of these Beatitudes back in 2017, which could be a couple of years ago or a decade ago. I am not certain at the moment. If there is one that feels particularly sticky, particularly interesting this morning, I'd encourage you to look back through the archives and enjoy one of those now ancient treasures. Though famous, the Beatitudes are to me some of the most perplexing statements Jesus makes. And mind you, he makes a lot of perplexing statements. Anytime I think about them longer than a minute, I find myself ever so slightly more confused. Why though? Why are the Beatitudes so perplexing and yet so popular? Imagine for a minute a politician, particularly one you admire. I know, I can hear scoffs and eye rolls all the way to here. But a politician, past or present, that you would at least be positively interested in hearing what they have to say. Now imagine this person is holding a press conference and a journalist asks, how do you see our society? Who's our society working for? Who's doing well? Who would you say is hashtag blessed? The politician opens their mouth and they say, blessed are the self-assured, for theirs is any room they walk into. Blessed are the emotionally reserved, for they will still get all the things done. Blessed are those in the most powerful political party, for they will win the elections. Blessed are those who have stocked pantries, for they have all they really need. Blessed are the ones who draw from every possible source of knowledge and wisdom, for they will see all the angles. Blessed are the deal-makers, for they will get ahead. Blessed are those who promote or produce what people want, for this is their time to shine. Does this person have a good beat on reality? In many ways, we might agree with these statements, and especially coming from someone we think well of. And why not? There's nothing evil about being self-assured and having a stocked pantry. And when we look around us and through our phones, there seems to be a lot of confirmation backing up these ideas of who is hashtag blessed we have to stop ourselves and ask, is that real? In this season of isolation, our definition of reality becomes even more important to nurture. And it's easy to get caught up in Tiger King realities or realities offered by our news sources or even the narratives that play out in our own home and in our own hearts and minds. So let's regroup this morning and remember together that there is a deeper reality that is more true. Jesus enters in and proclaims reality as it is, not merely as we see it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In what way are the Beatitudes of Jesus more real than the ones that I offered before? Jesus' vision incorporates what we see and know, mourning, meekness, hunger, and thirst, and adds to it the reality of the kingdom that stretches into eternity. It is a reality that takes God and his kingdom seriously, if not more seriously, than the reality of the present circumstances. In the hashtag blessed statements, there is no God who intervenes or orchestrates. There are only people and things, powers and strategies. There is only this life. In Jesus' Beatitudes, God is the active giver of good things. People are given the kingdom by God. People are comforted by God. Hunger and thirst satisfied by God. Inheritance of status and land by God. There is no full and accurate picture of reality that does not take into account the deep, steadfast goodness of God in this life and the one to come. Hashtag blessed says it's best to be someone who is great at self-protection and self-promotion. Jesus describes the blessedness of those who offer themselves in their smallness, in their vulnerability, in their need. He describes the blessedness of these people who offer themselves to God. In a time when we have heightened awareness of our vulnerability, the Beatitudes are an anchor for us. They anchor us to a God-soaked reality. Last week, Father Peter described Jesus' people in part by saying they they were those who enjoyed the wide embrace of God. The Beatitudes describe a life inside that embrace. How might we live into the reality that Jesus describes? How might we embrace the kingdom of God and Jesus the King? I'd like to offer three ways we might receive the Beatitudes as good news. First, I'd love to invite us to reconsider our our present difficulties in light of the Beatitudes. A friend shared a small chart on Facebook describing what kids' sadness might look like in our pandemic. It might look like misdirected anger. This dumb remote won't work. We've renamed all our computers Malfoy in our home. It might look like resisting the new setup. I'm not doing four math problems, I'm only doing one. It might look like tiredness. I don't wanna go for a walk, I'm tired. But the deepest feeling isn't the anger the resistance or the tiredness, it's sadness. One adult commented on the thread and said, uh, this is me too, <laughs> and I think many of us would agree, our inordinate anger with something not going our way, or with the way someone else chooses, or frustrated desires, or our inability to not feel lonely. Some of those places where we feel the rub are, in fact, places of meeting God, places of opportunity. Rather than letting it sit as mere anger, could our anger speak to the deeper realities of the Beatitudes? Is our anger, in fact, mourning? If so, as we embrace mourning, we simultaneously embrace the blessedness of assured comfort from God. I saw a meme the other day that said something to the effect of, I didn't ask if you were hungry. I don't eat at midnight because I'm hungry. I eat because I'm empty inside. So, do you want in on the nachos or not, Brenda? We know our hungers get garbled and manifested in strange ways. How might we soberly say, I'm hungry? And it's not food or drink, it's not the next news story or the next pithy article. And it's not another person's presence or absence that will satisfy me. I'm hungry in a way that needs God himself to show up. And the good news is, he will show up. Rather than spend our efforts trying to gain more control of a landscape that is frankly, frankly a bit beyond us, let's take time to recognize our opportunities as they are to identify with the Beatitudes. Second, we can also embrace the reality of the Beatitudes in prayer and worship. I've been enjoying a little book right now called Domestic Monastery. In it, Ronald Rollheiser asserts that just as a monastery is a place set apart to learn that powerlessness brings blessing and that time is God's and not our own, our own lives at home and work are able to do the same things. In this book, he writes, the saints and the great spiritual writers have always said there is one non-negotiable rule for prayer. Show up, show up regularly. The ups and downs of our minds and hearts are of secondary importance. I love that. I love the ups and downs of our minds and hearts being of secondary importance. They are not unimportant. Secondary still means they're on the list. But we bring, our, we bring ourselves as we are in honesty and humility before God. But there is a reality that is beyond our minds and hearts. And in prayer, in showing up and showing up regularly, we allow that reality to shape us. Worship similarly draws us into a world that is seen, felt, and heard. We see Andrew and Christa And the instruments, we feel the music in our throats and our swaying and our chest, and we hear the words and sounds. Worship is physical and here and now, seen, felt, and heard. And yet, worship also proclaims and participates in the unseen, the unfelt, and the unheard reality at large. Worship draws us into the life of Jesus and his kingdom show up and show up regularly. Finally, we embrace the reality of the Beatitudes by living into them together. It'd be easy to take the Beatitudes as pick-me-ups for one another Someone is in the hard place of making peace, taking fire from both sides, and another person comes along, I picture them skipping for whatever reason, and they are totally unaffected, and they say, good news, God calls you his child. (laughs) I've watched enough cartoons with my kids to know this is the moment when an enlarged fist comes and knocks that good news bringer out into outer space. When someone is mourning, we know it's not time to become chipper and say, but you'll be comforted by God. And yet, in our mourning with them, our prayers and our physical and virtual presence, they can speak to a mourning that is not without hope. We don't mourn with one another out of pity. We mourn because we are grieved with them. And we grieve together, not because all hope is lost, but because we are brave enough to trust that our grief will be met with comfort from God himself. In the book, The Sacrament of the Present Moment, 17th century monk Jean-Pierre de Cassade gives direction to nuns and their convent life. As you can see, I'm finding people who live cloistered lives to be good guides in our quarantine days, memes and monks. Brother Jean says there are times when our senses are blinded. And all we see is harm around us, if we see anything at all. He wrote, scared, these blind senses suddenly cry out, wretch, you're lost at the end of your tether. And faith immediately replies yet louder, hold fast, march on, fear nothing. Let us be a community of faith. A community that lives in the reality of the Beatitudes. Hold fast together, march on, fear nothing. Church of the Cross, Jesus is not only the proclaimer of this reality, but the embodiment of it. Let us be anchored in this reality, in his reality, in his vision that sees with eyes opened and sees more than our eyes can behold. Let us be anchored by the renewing of our minds in prayer and worship together. And let us pray. God, thank you that you have not left us in a world to our own devices and sit at a distance. But God, that you are present to us now and always. Lord, would you continue to allow our hearts, our minds, our habits, our bodies, our ways be shaped By your goodness, by the assuredness that you embrace us, that you empower us for what you have us to do, and your goodness that you speak blessing over your people. Thank you, Lord, that you choose um, the foolish and the weak things of this world as avenues of your glory as avenues of your affection. Lord, may we partake in your affection today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.